got a message on my heart today that I think will be a big help to you, to this congregation, and I just ask for your continued prayers as I try to preach. The title is, Are You a Disciple of Jesus? That's a question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and that's where we'll read our text, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. You can read in whichever translation you have. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today, just for this passage. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. And before we go any further, I'll I'll give maybe a little bit of a disclaimer. I want you all to listen to this part. Sometimes with this sort of message, what God has put on my heart, there will be a tendency among some people listening... To say, well, look at you, preacher, you don't have everything right. Why should I listen to you? Let me tell you why. Because I'm not the standard. You'll see why I said that when we get into the message. I'm not preaching only things I've mastered. I'm preaching truths that God has put on my heart that I'm still striving toward. And yes, you could point at my life and say, there's a lot of things that aren't how they should be, and I'm working on them, and I'm relying on the grace of God. I heard it said this way one time about a preacher like it should disqualify him. Somebody came to the preacher and he said, well, I heard this, this, and this about you. And he said, yeah, I know a lot worse things about myself than that. And that's not meant to be, I mean, you laugh if you want, but I'm not telling it as a joke. I'm telling it as a truth. I'm not worried if you think I don't have it all together because I don't. So... I felt the need to say that. Some people will be encouraged and motivated by this message. The sense in my heart this morning is that most of this congregation, maybe everybody here, you'll find this message as an encouragement and a strength to do more and better. That's what I pray for. Some people might be challenged and genuinely stirred up. Maybe there's some things you need to adjust. We all have minor adjustments in our lives. Some things we need to improve a little bit. Some of you might be in that category. And there may be some people, I don't know if here or listening, or I don't know, but there might be some people who are just offended. If you're offended because I said something wrong, tell me. If you're offended because I preach truth you don't like, get over it. So, that's my disclaimer, and I'm going to try to just preach now. Luke 12, beginning in verse 35, and again, this is from the New Living Translation, just for clarity. It may be a little bit different than what you're looking at. Jesus is speaking. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, Is that illustration or parable just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. 
If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? Then the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The other thing I want to remind us of is Jesus himself said, Students are to be like their master or their teacher, and slaves like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse. So I want to ask you, as I, as I questioned in the title of the message, are you a disciple of Jesus? Is Jesus actually your master? Or did you just get saved and that's all you really wanted? And I'm not, I'm not if, I, if any of this seems angry, I'm not angry. There's, there's a sense of almost a desperate gentleness in my spirit this morning. But I want you to understand, we live in a generation. I'm not talking about a particular age group. I'm talking about a time where all sorts of people alive have neglected basic fundamental responsibilities including spiritual responsibilities. And we need to be reminded, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. There's people who can't be here today, like Brother Joe, and every time I talk to him, he's, he's, I've never seen somebody that wants to get back to church so bad. So let me just say, I'm not, say, I'm not pointing at anybody. If you haven't been here in a while and you can't be, or God has shown you some other thing, whatever, that's between you and God. But what I'm saying is we don't need to be afraid to preach the truth just because it might make somebody uncomfortable or misunderstand. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. But we live in a generation that's messed up. We have forgotten basic fundamental responsibilities and duties and we're more concerned about how we feel than what we ought to do. Let me use some biblical language. Let me talk to men first. There's a scripture that says, quit yourself like men. Or in other words, grow up. Man up, men. Man up. I'm, I'm very carefully trying to discern what to say today. Because this is so in my heart and I don't want to mess it up. How many of you have heard of um, Jordan Peterson? Any of you old people... I don't mean that disrespectfully. Any of the older ones heard of Jordan Peterson? Let me, I want to make, this is a generation, I want you to understand this. Raise your hand if you've heard of Jordan Peterson. Very few people over 40 have heard of him in this room. How many of you have heard of Andrew Tate? Oh yeah, some of the younger ones. Do you know what these men are doing? They're preaching a Christian ethic even though they don't know the Lord. I'm, I'm saying from their own testimonies. They don't claim to be followers of Christ. And they are teaching something that young people are starving for. 
And what the young people are starving for is what people like Sister Mildred grew up assuming or being taught or it was in the very culture. I'm talking about our, our I don't know how old you are, Sister, but our grandparents' generation. My grand, like They grew up in a culture that now young people are starving to be taught basic fundamental truths that are part of Christianity. And guess what? The church is not teaching it. And if we are, we're doing it in a little hidden way where we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so people like Peterson and Andrew Tate are out there saying basic truth and people are starving for it. But they're not preaching Jesus. That's a problem. Because it's like Sister Jody said, and I might not quote this exactly, but man, it went in. She said these kids have everything they need, but they don't have what they need. Or they have all the right stuff, but not what they actually need. You realize they, they can get the Christian life ethic, and that's great that men are talking about it again. But if they don't have Jesus, they're missing the most important thing. And so we don't need to be afraid. We've got to get serious about preaching the gospel. What does that have to do with this parable? Because as the end of the parable said, where much is given, much is required. We have all been given a great, incredible blessing. And we owe God something. You all realize that? And I'm not being mean to you. I'm glad you're here today. I'm preaching to the choir, as the old saying goes. But big deal. Like, wow, you came to church one time on Sunday morning. So what? That's not a big thing we did for God. It's the smallest thing. And if we're honest, we did it more for ourselves than for Him because we feel better when we come here. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is in my heart. We owe God everything. If somebody, I've used this analogy before, if, say Sister Carissa went out to check the mail before church and, and there was a person walking by. And right as they were walking by, they noticed this car was swerving off the road and was about to hit her. They dove in front of the car, pushed her out of the way, saved her life, got crushed and died. You know, things like that actually happen. And this person gave their life to protect her. Don't you think every time she came here, every time she drove by, maybe every day she woke up, she would say, somebody gave their life so I could live. Don't you think it would make her live a little bit more intentionally, with more purpose and more sincerity and maybe more passion? Every one of us experienced that. Somebody actually gave his life for us. And so let me just be clear, because we're not clear enough as religious people anymore, because we're worried about not hurting people's feelings. There's no room for laziness in the people of God. He's given us too much for us to be half-hearted about serving Him. There's no room for it. And I'm thankful I came from a, um, a legacy. I'm not talking about just people I was related to, but I mean people I grew up around, older people. I'm thankful I saw people serve the Lord whether or not they felt like it. Because this generation only serves the Lord when they feel like it. And it's a problem. My grandfather, the last few years of his life, we didn't know this, but he had terrible back pain. The level that most people would have been on a morphine pump. A continuous pump. 
He didn't. No medication. And we found out later cancer was uh, all eaten up his spine. He passed away partly from that. But it didn't keep him from going and supporting young preachers. No matter how much pain he was in. Shortly before he passed away, I was helping out in a revival effort in Murfreesboro. And the biggest thing he wanted to do was go down there and be there and support them. And you know what he wanted to tell the people? He said, fall in love with Jesus. That was what was in his heart. I'm thankful I grew up around people like that. I'm thankful I didn't know her real well because I haven't been there that long. But I'm thankful that Sister Catherine, even if she got here late every Sunday, she was here if she could be. And she... and. Bless her heart, because she, she could barely walk. You all know, and she would come in, and I'd watch her. I'm already up here preaching, usually. And it would take her five minutes to get to her seat, but she was here. This generation, we just stay home. That's too much trouble. I'm thankful for some of you here in this room who have persevered and stood. And it's not just an age thing. And I'm just going to talk from my heart. Listen. If you get here on a Sunday morning and the door's already unlocked and you didn't unlock it, it's because somebody else got here before you and unlocked it. If you get here and it's not cold and the heat is on and you didn't turn it on, it's because somebody else got here before you did and turned it on. If you get in here and the lights are on and you didn't turn them on, somebody else got here earlier and turned them on. If you go to the bathroom and your feet don't stick to the floor and you didn't clean the floor, somebody else did. Do you realize that? We're not in some big corporation church where we just hire somebody. There's people here who do those things. And maybe you're not physically able to do things like that, but you're physically able to pray and able to get here. Thank you. Be here. Come and, 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 and support this work of the Lord. Now, this parable, this is um, encouraging, but it's also heavy. And my wife doesn't like graphic language, but I didn't make this up. This master is going to chop the guy up who doesn't do what he's supposed to. That's how serious it is. That's a parable. I'm not saying God's literally going to do that to us. But we're taught the Lord has given us so much. We need to be ready. Whenever the master is coming back, we don't know when. He, let me ask you something. What if Jesus came back and, and, he, and he happened to come here? And it was 11 o'clock. I'm being serious. And he said, where is everybody? There's four people here. And then 11.05, some of you get here. And 11.10, some of you get here. 11.15, somebody else gets here. Wouldn't you be ashamed? I would be. I would be ashamed. I would be embarrassed. Jesus is here. Where are we? That's the point of this parable. And, I, and I, I tell by the silence in the face that I'm saying things that they're not comfortable. It's on my heart. I care enough about this church, and I hope you do too. Let me tell you what I expect from you, because God put it in me. If you're a member of this church, you should get here a few minutes early so that when visitors get here, we look ready. We don't look like a joke. What would it look like if somebody's never been here and there's five people? And the other half of the congregation or the other ten people get here sometime after 11. We don't know when. It's a big deal. And I'm not, I'm not trying to go to meddling, but this is on my heart. We need to be here ready. 
and willing to serve the Lord and to receive people. We're here. We're not just here to like show up. We're here, whatever needs doing, to be ready. I'm thankful. I tell you what. I don't know over the years who all have done things, but people like Brother Joe and Brother David, and before that I know Brother Allen did a lot. I'm not trying to single people out, but they just do whatever needs doing. We had somebody come and look at that roof, a contractor, and said this is dangerous. Brother David just went to Lowe's and bought the supplies, and we're here. Boom. Fixing it. Jonathan Daniel came. Allen would have been here if he could. That's what we need. And so I'm not criticizing. I'm saying in some ways y'all are doing it. But let's make sure we're doing what the Lord wants and being ready. Do do y'all want this congregation to grow? Do you want that? Isn't it worth getting here 10 minutes before service? Or an hour, like Brother David and Sister Tanya? It's worth it to me. People are people, and if they come here and we don't look like we care if they're here or not, I want y'all and I want me, somebody walks in the door we've never seen before, there's genuine excitement, and we're actually here to say hello. We're prayed up. We're ready. God, what do you want us to do today? How can we serve you? To the extent that you've been doing that, keep doing it. To the extent that you need to improve on it, improve on it. God will help you. I've got things I need to improve on too. What is a disciple? When I said, are you actually a disciple of Christ? Or did you just get saved? And some of this is not your fault. Some of it's the, the incomplete gospel that has been preached among our ranks for so long. Things like, lost sinner, we're here just for you. We have a revival and we say, if just one of you would be saved, it would make this whole week worth it. I don't agree with those things because they're not scriptural. We're here for God. And people are saved as a byproduct of us glorifying Him. And not just glorifying Him when we feel emotionally inspired to, but because we've been commanded to. Are you a disciple of Christ or did you just get saved? And I'm asking people on the internet watching, people listening to the recording later, people from other churches. This is not just a... Are you really a disciple of Christ? What is a disciple? Notice how closely that word looks like our English word discipline. We think a lot about spiritual inspiration. And in our ranks, I'm talking about missionary Baptists, we believe in follow, tribe believe in following the Lord and people speaking from the heart. And all that is wonderful. But there is an element of discipleship that has nothing to do with emotional excitedness and spiritual inspiration and nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with us doing what God commanded. Say, well, I don't know if I agree with that, preacher. All right, let me show you in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9.27, the Apostle Paul said, I keep under my body, bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let me put it in language. We'll actually understand what he's saying. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Brother Allen will appreciate this. I heard a podcast. Jocko Willink was the guest. He's a Navy SEAL commander, if y'all don't know who he is. And he's been very successful. He's a very, you look at him and you say, wow, that guy's really motivated. Wakes up early, does what he should do. All kinds, like, where does he get all his energy? And that's what the, the interviewer asked him. He said, how do you stay so motivated? And Jocko said, I don't think about motivation. 
because motivation is an unreliable emotion. He said, I get up in the morning and I do what I'm supposed to do because that's part of being a man. It doesn't matter how I feel. Here's what I'm telling you, brothers, and y'all haven't heard a sermon like this in a long time. I know, because I haven't. Part of serving God is getting up and serving Him regardless of how you feel. Do y'all, any amens, anybody believe that? Yes. It's true, and some of you model it. Some of you, I don't know what you're going through. You might not feel like being here today, but you felt like you should be. You know, there's times when I don't feel like preaching, and I do anyway. And I try to lean on the Lord, and maybe I do a poor job of it, but I don't just give up because I don't feel like it. What if your preacher, your pastor only preached when he felt like it? Let's make it deeper than that. What if God only answered our prayers when he felt emotionally motivated to? Instead of behaving consistently with his character. See, as God's people, we are called to be his disciples, which involves behaving consistently with the character of a disciple of Christ, regardless of my emotional state. And I'm talking, this is men and women both, but especially young men. Man, part of being a man is just get over it. That's the truth. It doesn't matter how you feel. I didn't feel like working over there in that building. I was sick earlier this week. And you know what I told the Lord? I told my wife and my mama, I don't have time to be sick, literally. Pray for me to be better because this has to be done. And guess what? God took care of it. Gave me strength I didn't have. Daniel was sick. He came and worked anyway. I'm not trying to single out or lift up people. This is about Jesus. We've given so much. And the Lord just wants a little bit of us back. That's scriptural too. You know, scripture talks about a tithe. That's 10%. And God gave us a Sabbath. He demonstrated that in himself. That's one-seventh. If we dedicated our whole Sunday to the Lord, our whole Sabbath day, that's one-seventh of the week. He doesn't demand a lot from us. We think God wants all of everything. No, he understands. He understands our weakness. He understands the limitation of our bodies. You know what he wants? Our hearts. And that's where this message, this is why I'm not pointing fingers because I can't see your hearts. Some of you might be right on. Some of you might be serving the Lord exactly like you should be. And if you are, praise his holy name. Some of you might need some improvement like me. I need some improvement, but I'm trying. Trying to serve him. Are we serious about following Christ? Now part of this, and, and this is not popular today, but part of this is are we serious about the Lord's church? Are we serious about the local congregation? Our role as a member of the ecclesia, and this is really popular among just all kinds of religious people and just our culture in general. Well, I don't need to be part of a church to serve God. I've heard people say that. It might be true sometimes. Maybe you've been through a season of your life where church wasn't necessary for that season. And I don't doubt that. Because I've gone through a season of my life like that. But we need to be careful that we don't build rules out of exceptions. Jesus has ordained that the local congregation, the ecclesia, be entrusted with the gospel and carry the gospel to the world. That matters. 
Even if God gave you permission not to go to church for a few months or a season of time, that doesn't mean it's not important. It, it matters. And we don't need to try to find exceptions. We don't. If, anything I preach today, if you find inside yourself a voice saying, yeah, but, you're missing the point. This is not about finding an exception, something you can get by with. This is about what is the heart of God? What is His desire for His people? And just because God might have led or allowed something for a particular season in a particular person's life doesn't mean that's the new standard everybody should follow. The standard was Jesus and everything He taught and then what He passed down to His apostles. That's the standard. And how we worship and how the ecclesia operates is based on that. Here's the thing. We're not following just mere rules. We're not, there's not a checklist to do this, this, and this, follow the covenant or whatever the case is, and then you're good. We're striving toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. We're pressing toward... Do you realize the way the Apostle Paul said it? That I may know Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. He said, I want to press toward Him and lay hold the way He's laid hold on me. That's beautiful to me. And to me, there's not a spirit of criticism in that. There's a spirit of encouragement that God, when He saved my soul and when He saved your soul, He grabbed a hold of you with a purpose and an intention for your life and He hasn't let go. Even if you've buried that grip under noise. He's still holding on. Jesus is our standard. I mentioned this already, but Jesus has entrusted the gospel to his ecclesia. That's why it matters. Paul described this as the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth is promoted, upheld, supported, proclaimed by the church. That's why it matters. You can't just go do whatever you want all the time and serve God effectively. I'll make this clear because it's not preached a lot. If you're saved, you need to be an active member of a local congregation that's trying to teach the truth of Jesus. Period. Now, if you get too old and feeble and you can't come, and, or you're sick, or you're taking care of somebody else, or you're doing something you should be doing, that's one thing. But if you can be at the Lord's house, you should be. Because we can't serve the Lord as well on our own as we can as a member of an active, functional body. We're the body of Christ. And I've said this before. I preached a lot on this a year ago when I first got here. I don't know what body part y'all are. Some of you might be a big toe. Some of you might be a hand. Maybe some of you are a stomach. I don't know. But whatever body part you are, that's all you are. And you can do a whole lot more in conjunction with other functional body parts listening to the head. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't speak to you individually. He does. It doesn't mean you can't hear from the Lord on your own. He can, and He does. Church is not the end-all, be-all. God is. But we don't need to diminish the importance of this assembly just because of the liberty we have in Christ. I think that's a good way of saying it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about diligence, really. Which is something that used to just be assumed in past generations. What is diligence? Proverbs 22, 29 says this, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. 
I read that, I probably read it in the Bible at some point, but the first time it really grasped my attention was in Ben Franklin's autobiography. I read it, and he talked about when he read it, and, and it arrested my attention. Do you see a man who's diligent in his business? That man will stand before King Franklin, whether he knew the Lord or not. I don't, that's between him and God. But he took it literally. And he said, if I apply diligence to my life, then that literally, and it did literally happen. Part of why this nation is here is because Ben Franklin read that Bible verse and believed it was true. You look at history, that's not an over-exaggeration. What is diligence? The Hebrew word for diligence, you look at the definition, quick, prompt, skilled, ready. I've already talked about promptness, so I'm not going to spend any more time. Y'all know how I feel about that. The reason I feel about it that way is because I believe that's what God expects. I just do. I'm old-fashioned, I guess, in that way. How about quick? That means getting where you need to be without wasting any time. No uh, lollygagging. Get right where the Lord wants you. So many distractions. And I'm going to preach to myself for a minute, man. My, my wife will tell you. And technology developers have done this on purpose. They've got this, this box that we call a phone. And I go over there to check the time. And then I'm, I see a message. I have to open it. And I see something else. And then next thing you know, I'm just wiping. And she says, you got stuck in there again, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It's a real problem. I, I can't be diligent. I can't be quick getting somewhere when I'm distracted like that. Neither can you. How about prompt? I already talked about that one, but we should be where we're supposed to be when we should be there. I believe that. How about skill? we got to get past this, this mindset that, that has infected our ranks that, that the most important thing is for you to be humble, and that means being dumb and broke. No, you're supposed to be skilled as a child of God. You're supposed to be skilled with the Word, and He has given you abilities that you're supposed to develop for Him. If you love music, you should be the best possible musician you can. If you love singing, you should develop your voice the best you can. If you're an electrician, you should install those wires. I love talking to an electrician who, they say, you could tell if a professional put that in or not, because those little tiny white screws in your wall switches, they'll be the same direction. That would seem silly to somebody who's not in that trade, but they take pride in that. That's pleasing to God. Yeah. Quick, prompt, skilled, ready. Are we ready? Church? I talked about that a little bit, just on Sunday morning. But I mean in general, are we ready? We, we sort of... Sort of pray that God will bless us. Kind of, you know, God will bless us. No. We should pray exactly what we think the Lord wants for us to have from our hearts. Brother David talked about that two or three, probably three years ago. We came here, might have been longer because my grandfather was still alive. And he said, I'm praying your family will be led to come here. And I just... Yeah, yeah, flip, just flippantly, because I, I didn't feel that way. If I'm honest, I didn't really want to be here. 
But then when God got in it and led me here, I wanted to be here. And now I'm here. I'm going to do what I can and what it takes, and whether I feel like it or not. That's part of it. But that all started, I'm not saying he caused it, but that was something God put in his heart and he wasn't afraid to pray for. What are you all praying for? For this church. Are you praying for anything? Are you praying that the Lord will add? Are you praying that he'll draw in these broken children from our culture so we can teach them the truth? Not just draw in, but that he'll give us enough people to go out and reach them. I'm praying for that, but maybe not as diligently as I will from now on. We need enough people here who are able-bodied and serious and, and, and men and women to work so we can reach the community. I believe that. This, we can't just half-heartedly say, God, just bring them in. They're not here. They don't want to be here. No, they're not here because they don't even know we're here. Some people see that sign in this building. Some people drive right by and have no idea it's even here. That's the truth. Quick, prompt, skilled, ready. That's diligent. Ready and hasting to do the Master's will. Giving our utmost. Doing our best. Being a disciple means it's not about what you want or what you can get by with or maybe what God will tolerate, but ultimately what will please God. How much different would our lives be would our culture be, would this congregation be, if the sincerest desire of our heart was, Lord, this moment, this thing I'm doing, does it please you? Does it give you joy? If that was really our heart's desire, we wouldn't need any rules or regulations or church covenant. And we would have more joy and our Father would have more joy. Lord, everything I'm doing, does this make you happy? Does this give you joy? Does this please you? I can't not smile when I say that because I think about my little girl like this, whatever I'm doing, is it making mom and daddy happy? It's so easy. It's simple. We make it complicated. So there's not a bunch of rules you have to follow. It's, Lord, what would please you? We live, as I've already said, in a generation, but I need to spend some time on this. We live in a generation where people are more concerned with how they feel than what's right. And it's a problem. That's why suicide rates are higher than ever. That's why teen depression is higher than ever. It's a problem. Part of being a disciple of Christ is having a basic foundation of character and morals, regardless of how you feel. Right? I want to model that for my daughter and for other children and for anybody watching. And I'm thankful for the people who've modeled that for me. This thing in our culture, I don't even know what to call it, but y'all heard, I've heard people in their 30s or 40s say this. I don't feel like adulting today. Y'all ever heard, you ever said it? I hope you haven't said it. I don't feel like adulting today. Like it's an option. I'm not being mean, but man, that should never be in the mind of a child of God because he's called us to be men and women. It's not optional. We're compared to soldiers, spiritual soldiers for a reason. What if a soldier, all his buddies are in battle and he says, Me, I don't feel like soldiering today. Some of his buddies might die because of it. 
We don't feel like adulting. Somebody might die and go to hell because of it. It matters. It matters. True disciples. This is why when I said, are, are you a disciple of Christ or do you just get saved? True disciples can be relied on to do certain things regardless of how they feel in the moment. And our generation, I've talked about this, we've been too focused on inspiration and not focused enough on discipline, duty, and responsibility. My grandfather used to teach us. He said, I joined the Baptist church because I felt like it was my duty. I didn't feel inspired to. I read scripture, and I saw what scripture said. And that church was preaching the truth, and I united with it. God didn't have to lead me to. Wow. We live in a, a generation, in a culture where we go to church when we feel like it. We pray when we feel like it. We get serious about the Lord's work, sort of, when we feel like it. And this is, this is convicting to me. I, I want to do better. I, I'm not nearly as disciplined as I want to be. I struggle. It's hard. It's hard, especially if you have sort of a creative or entrepreneurial personality like, like I do. It's hard to be disciplined. But it's necessary. You see, if we have a framework of, of true um, biblical discipline and that we try to live as a disciple of Christ, God can deviate us from that when he wants to. He can show up and powerfully lead us. We're not stuck. I'm not talking about being stuck in some kind of rigid framework. I'm talking about not wasting our lives. What if Jesus, I mentioned God, but what if Jesus only did what he felt like doing when he was here? Let's be serious. Nobody feels like going and dying on a cross. Say, well, Jesus was God. Yeah, he still didn't feel like going and dying on the cross. He didn't want to. We can prove that with Scripture. Jesus prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. If there's any other way, Lord, I don't want to go through this, Father. Help me. And, and we have that one verse, and we read past it quickly. But from what we can tell from the context of Scripture, there was hours of agonizing prayer where Jesus was sweating, as it were, Scripture says, great drops of blood coming from Him. He's, he's saying, I don't know if I can do this in my flesh. This is too much. But I'm willing because I am your Son. That's what a disciple says. Master, whatever you want, whether I like it or not. And that is convicting to me. It should be convicting to all of us. There's a terrible lack of discipline in our culture and the way we worship God. You can see that by the very religious terminology we use. People call it a worship service. They say, they say worship music. As if, as if worship is a particular style of music. Do you know worship scripturally? Y'all who've known me a while have heard me say this over and over. The biblical word for worship means prostrating yourself before God. It means your heart being on the floor before God at His feet. Master, whatever you say is what I want. That's worship. 
It might include music, it might include prayer, it might include your life, but that's worship. At the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he called his disciples, he didn't go around saying, don't you want to get out of hell? Don't you want to get saved? Don't you want to avoid heaven? You know what he did? He looked at people with this power that I can only imagine that was at once a command and an invitation. And he said, follow me. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about getting saved. He said, follow me. That is, be my disciple. And the ones who followed him left everything. Are you a disciple of Christ? Do I live, I ask myself this, I hope you'll ask yourself this. Do I live more like a disciple of Christ or more like a spoiled child? And I don't want to preach this part, these things, but there, I have to. Things like integrity, punctuality, reliability, self-discipline, self-denial, work ethic. These are expected of God's people. They shouldn't be optional. And, and that laziness isn't a joke. Sloppiness in the Lord's work, it's not a joke. Gluttony, it's not a joke. It's a sin. If you're destroying your body through a lack of discipline... It's not just a bad idea, it's, it's sin. And we forget sin brings death. Self-centeredness isn't a, a joke. Scripture, as I said, compares us to soldiers for a reason. Men, it's time to man up. Women, it's time to women up, if that's a thing. Do what you should. And don't do what I'm telling you. Do Figure out what God is. Now, there are things Scripture teaches. God does, doesn't have to lead you to do something Scripture already told you to do. There's a mindset among God's people. And I, this isn't a message, message on tithing, but I have to say it or I would be displeasing the Lord. We should give to the Lord's congregation financially. And I realize this church has a lot of widows in it. And part of the church's job is to take care of widows. Which means the rest of us need to give. Two. More. I've heard people say, and this, I, oh, it actually gives me chills. I can't afford to tithe. I had somebody tell me one time, if you ever feel like you can't afford to tithe, you should give more than you think you can. Because that is a dangerous heart set to be in. That's true. What does it mean if you say, I can't, and I understand, it's hard to live in this culture we're in. Inflation is bad. Man, you remember eggs like a year and a half ago, I could get them at Aldi for like 67 cents. And now the cheap ones are like $4. It's hard, I understand. I'm not talking about what you should or shouldn't, I don't know the actual, like we're not talking about numbers, I'm talking about your heart. If your heart says, I can't afford to tithe, what does that say about your relationship with God? It says, I only have enough to give Him my leftovers, and right now I don't even have any leftovers. 
when Scripture says, give the first fruits of your increase. The first, before anything else. And I know some people don't believe that applies anymore. I don't know why they think that. I believe it does. And there's other places to give, not just the congregation, but I'm talking about the attitude of your heart. God, you have, you've given me everything I have. What a sour, spoiled attitude to say I can't afford to. He'll provide. I've seen it. I've seen it. Some of you have lived it. I want to say this to the young people too. Some of you older ones, you've already worked, you've already done it. And, and, and these things might not apply to you directly, these particular things. But to the young people, do you realize what a privilege it is to get to go to work to make money to support the Lord's cause? Do you realize? That's a privilege. And there's things that are, that are in my heart and I'm sure in your hearts that I hope the Lord will use this congregation to do. Some of it takes money. Like it's going to take money to keep the building over there fixed. It takes money to keep the lights on. It takes money. I hope we have a, a better video set up where we can get the gospel out to people on the internet. Do you know thousands of people listen to these sermons online and watch these videos? You all know because some of you watched them and that's how you got here. I, 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 I wish we had the funds and maybe we just need to do it to where there's enough, um, where it's a good product. That's on my heart. It's on my heart, I already said this, that we get this congregation to a place functionally and, and spiritually and healthy where we can fill the needs in this community around us. We're, I don't know what it'll be, if it'll be uh, some type of food bank or if it'll be a, a little school for children. Or if, what, Here's what I'm saying, we need to be ready. That's right. And that take, it takes effort, sure, but what, what better thing is there to spend your time and energy on than the Lord's work? Like, what, what do you have better to do? Watch Netflix? Or the news? Some of you older ones, I don't watch Netflix. Yeah, you watch a lot of news. Or maybe you don't. Then God bless you. And thank you. But some of us are struggling with these distractions in the world. We don't need to be. Here's the point. Or what I'm going to conclude with. James 4.17 Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it's sin. What God has put in my heart today is to preach these things so that none of us will be without excuse. So that if there was some sloppiness or, or unintentionality in your life, that, that now you know, and now it's sin. And now you have to answer to God. You say, that sounds awfully harsh. I mean it. Because it's not no big deal serving the king of the universe. What a privilege to get to be the... Being a disciple of Christ means we are the servant of the Most High. I don't want to do that half-heartedly or sloppily. I want to serve Him. I want Him to be pleased with me and with us and with this congregation. we got one life to live and it's short. Even if you live to 80 or 90 years old, you're going to realize it was short. And did we do what matters? Did we do what pleased the Lord? what I pray for. I'm finished with this message. I want to say I love y'all. And um, I just hope this, I hope it was a help. And if there is anybody who feels upset at me, talk to me. 
Don't let it fester. I don't think I, I mean, I didn't say anything that should have made you mad. But if it did, tell me. If you think I'm wrong about something, let's talk about it. I feel pretty certain that these things are what God wants us to hear. Or I wouldn't have had to preach them. But I love you all and and God bless you. And let's have a good year.